Welcome to Instructions, I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. And we're back! Hey! Hey! How's it going? Uh, you know. It's been a minute. It has been a while. Thank you to everybody who has sent messages asking mm-hmm. when the show is coming back. Uh, I don't know if you got them, but I got a whole lot of messages, people saying they, they missed it. Oh. Yeah. I got some. Cool. Yeah. It was very nice. Um, and we just kind of, this is your first week back here. Mm-hmm. So since uh, we've all been apart, we tried to record once, and we did. And yep. it, it just, there really wasn't a whole lot to talk no, about. No, because I think everybody was experiencing the same thing at that particular moment in the craziness of the world. And so just to keep reiterating, like, oh, how are you doing? Yeah. The same? I'm the same. The world's crazy, but it's pretty much stagnant. Yeah. And so there really wasn't a whole lot to, like, engagingly talk about. Because nothing had really changed. Yeah. I think day to day or week to week. But now looking back over, that feels like a really long time ago. It was, yeah. And I feel like a lot has happened. Obviously, a lot's happened in the world. But I think... <clears throat> for me and for my family and stuff, I think a lot has changed or we've learned a lot or we've spent time differently over that, you know, mm. time that we were set apart from everybody else. So it's kind of interesting. It didn't feel like much was changing at the time, but now I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, stuff has happened. So yeah, I don't know that we have a whole lot to talk about, but I thought it might be kind of interesting to kind of go through uh, w- what the the lockdown time was like for you and for me i mean not just you but for both of us mm. to kind of see if anything like came out of it i know some good stuff came out of it for us well first off i want to uh, do you feel like it's it's over and no. i use air quotes over i feel like <clears throat> kind of yeah i don't feel like the virus is over obviously i don't right. feel like the potential uh danger or the reason for staying apart is over but I feel like the majority of people are so tired of it that they're giving up. <laughs> that's the way I feel. I don't know if that's yeah. valid, but that's that's how it feels to me. Um, I don't necessarily have that tiredness, right. but I but I kind of feel like it's just moving on because everybody is just tired of it. Not moving on feels like stuff. Yeah, I I, I see that and I feel that around. But I still, like, when I go to the grocery store, like, when I went out today to go get stuff for here, like, I wear that mask. Yeah. I have I have precautionary measures that I normally didn't have. Like, I have hand sanitizer. My, I, I wash my hands constantly because, like, right now my hands are a tad bit, like, tacky, and I hate it. So I found a hand sanitizer out of all of the many that, like, ooh, I like this when it doesn't leave that feeling. And so I have a bottle of that in the Jeep. So anytime I go out anywhere... Whether I get out to go somewhere or I get back in from that place, I hand sanitize. And it's something that I normally wouldn't have done. I wash my hands a lot, but not to that extent. And so I look at each area or each thing that I'm going to go do as a, a potential risk. Not a huge, massive risk, but it's a risk nonetheless. And so I go, well, what can I do to mitigate that risk? Because I'm a human being and I don't want to contribute to the problem. Um, but the risk, statistically, the risk in our location has gone down. It's not New Zealand. It hasn't been eradicated by any means. But I think with some mitigating precautions that I can exist in my community under these conditions. Now, there are still things that I am not comfortable doing. Like my son went out with me for the first time not too long ago, and I'm like, you're wearing this mask. Hmm. And that's not to say that around 
the cereal aisle, coronavirus is waiting like the Kool-Aid man to burst through the shelves. Hiding behind the Fruit Loops. Yeah, but he needs to understand like what is going on in the world and why yeah. stuff is kind of crazy on a personal level, not just tangentially through stories or something. So, and, But that's not to like, you're going to learn a lesson. It's you are at risk right now. Yeah. And you haven't had to do this. And so, what, three months into it? It was the very first time he went out. He's like, I'm not wearing that mask. I'm like, oh, here we are. Day one. <laughs> like, oh, no. Yes, you are. And these are the reasons why. And this is what we're going to do to protect ourselves. And so other than just like walking through that door into your house and being like, I have a tape measure like this close to you. I still use those those same precautions, those same mitigations, because it. I think it is disingenuous for people to just kind of give up or go like, oh, well, everybody else has kind of not cared. So I guess it's time for me to not care. That seems like the most passive way to protect yourself is based on the mood of other people. And so I think if that was a lot of people's motivation to like wear a mask or to wash their hands or to distance or like, oh, well, everybody else is doing it. I must be doing it. Then you're not effectively mitigating because you don't know what you're mitigating against. Hmm. Like I, I know how the virus <clears throat> is transmitted. So I'm going to mitigate against those things. Not just because everybody in the world is like, oh, well, I feel like going to get a haircut or we're all going to meet up at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> like uh, that, the, the risk didn't go away just because you got bored. Yeah. And that's my feeling about it is I, I just, I see a lot of people who have effectively taken that road. Not that they're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that, but that, They've let up so far just because they're just like, well, what, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, there are things you can do and yeah. still be a part of society. Yeah. You know, uh, so it's a little frustrating to see that. Not everywhere, but in a lot of places and a lot of the people. Um, and like my kids haven't been out anywhere except to outdoor things. So like Jenny's been taking them to um, different falls and different springs yeah, and stuff like that you know a lot of hikes uh and that's pretty cool because they're out but man this entire time they've been home my daughter finally went back to gymnastics and which in a gym setting uh last week and they've got them spread out and we were still a little worried about that because like the girls can't wear masks while they're doing gymnastics they can't they want to be hardcore <laughs> yeah but so we were, we were like didn't know how it was gonna go so we we're like well we'll go one time we'll see how they've got it set up and they sent a big precautionary letter out about here's the risk and here's what we're going to try to do. There were four girls there in this entire huge gym yeah. and two coaches. So they were, they were like wow. 12 feet apart and <laughs> had like basically one-on-one -on -one attention the entire time. So it worked out pretty well. But other than that, they've, they've been staying home and they, I mean, they missed their friends. And so now they've started playing with their friends that are here in the neighborhood, like right next door. Um, but other than that, man, like they've actually handled this really well. It's been very surprising to me. Mm. And there, there have been moments, you know, where they're like, why can't we just go swimming or why can't we go to so-and-so's house or why can't we whatever. But overall, man, they've, they've handled it really well and have maybe not understood everything about it. But we've, since the very beginning, we've had to tell them like, your school is changing because of this. Here's what's happening in yeah. the world. And my oldest, um, he just finished sixth grade. So part of middle school is they have to watch um, CNN 10 every morning. And it's a 10 minute newscast that CNN puts together. And hmm. it's like world news in 10 minutes 
geared towards middle and high schoolers. Okay. So it's just a, it's a top level, you know, here's what's happening in the world. But through doing like the schooling and home stuff, he can, he had to continue to watch that because they get quizzes on it and stuff like that. So hmm. that they're paying attention. So that was kind of interesting because he used to do that at school, but now he was doing it at home and he looked forward to it because it was a mixture of like important stuff and just silly, like yeah. so-and-so found the largest alligator in the world <laughs> in Florida and well, you know, that kind of thing. But he started watching that, and the other kids wanted to watch it with him. So every morning at breakfast, they would all sit around and watch a curated, kid-friendly news. Yeah. So they got these little glimpses of how the uh, the virus was moving throughout the world and what the different parts of the world were doing about it. Obviously, it wasn't super detailed, but that kind of gave them some perspective that hearing it from me probably wouldn't have given them. Yeah. You know what I mean? They got it from like an external source. So that was kind of cool uh, to see them take a hold of that. And, you know, they ended up being okay with a lot of stuff, I think, because they saw it like, oh, yeah, I can see this window to the world. I can see that it's happening out there, even though my parents already told me about it. Yeah. I know they're telling me the truth because it says so right here. So, but they, they did pretty well with it. What, uh, we haven't started working on anything. <laughs> I have a big set. Yeah. Check this out. Ah, this, for anybody listening and not watching, this Get is the... This guy. Lego Ideas, uh, Pirates of Barracuda Bay. That looks pretty awesome. And I went to the store yesterday really yeah. quickly, and I got... Check this out. What's it on the table? Oh. A Minecraft Creeper. <laughs> <laughs> because Target had almost no Legos. So let's let's look at the uh, the piece count here. How many pieces does yours have? Um, let me say it's... 184. Oh, yeah, that's just about... Mine's 2545, so it's pretty close. Mm, well, yeah. <laughs> but mine can blow yours up. That's very true. So let's that put is that into perspective. True. So I started to open this before we started, and I realized that there's a oh. box in a box. Oh. So I stopped like because that's not box. something that has oh. happened very often. And then there's a oh. bunch of bags. Box and bags. Huh. Box and bags and box and bags. So I wonder if I should open this one first. Oh. Bonk. Anyway, so I'm excited to do a new set because yeah. it's been a while since we've done this. That looks pretty cool. Where are we going to put that? This, we just got so, a new cabinet. It's not going to fit in the cabinet. The, uh, the cool thing about this is this is two sets. So do you remember the big pirate ship set? Mm -hmm. So it makes the pirate ship, but then it also makes a fort. Oh, like so you can snap a fort out of the yeah. shipwreck. Yeah. That's cool. That's pretty awesome. I never had any of the pirate sets growing up. And, um, sorry. We should make a fort out of the rocket that I have. That Saturn V rocket. <laughs> That's <laughs> like a true. new kind of cantina. There you go. I don't know how to open this. I was pretty excited about uh, getting the pirate set, even though it was very large. And I ordered it right before everybody stopped coming in. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Well, look at this. It's got sails. Oh, it's got go. water tiles. So big. Did you ever have the Lego boat? Did we talk about this with the weighted block? I never had a Lego ask? boat. Yeah. Uh, somebody bought me a boat one time, and it was kind of like a yacht-looking thing. It had a little scuba diver, and it had uh, maybe like a two-by-eight uh, brick, and it was super heavy. So you could play with it in the water, and it wouldn't roll hmm. over. So it acted like a keel, but like it was just like ballast weight on That's the cool. inside of it. 
One of my kids was asking me if there were Lego boats recently. Like, they, that you could there actually put in water. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't I have had one when I was a kid. I used to play with them bath, though. It's kind of weird that I don't have one, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I got a lot of bags to handle. Well, look how long those are. These are, uh, axles. Stop that. These are... These are... <laughs> these are very long. I've just never seen any of them that are like that. Anyway. All right. Uh, I'm gonna get the crinkly stuff out of here, and then we can continue the conversation. I'm gonna get well, bag one. My kids, being homeschool kids, um, were less—I don't want to say less as affected. Uh, it was less obvious to them, especially the two younger ones, my five and my four-year-old, that like something was going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think just because of their age, they would have fully understood anyway. Just when I, when I would have to venture out, they're like, Dad, I want to go. Where normally I would take them with me. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you can't go. There's only uh, one person in the store. And they're like, uh-huh. And then they'd run off. Right. They wouldn't fully know why. But my older son, my nine-year-old, like, he got it. He understood it. And he takes things. He gets very upset about the world. I think he very much likes his little bubble. And I try to push him outside that bubble because I have to prepare you to be a man one day. And you need to understand what is happening in the world around you so you have some context. You can start to develop empathy for people that have experienced stuff that you haven't before. And trying to explain that to him is, yeah, in, in, in terms that it's, it's not super scary, you need to be prepared but you can't be prepared. He can't effectively be prepared because he can't visualize what it is he's supposed to be weary of. I'm sorry. I am listening to you. I'm trying to get this over with so I don't distract from what you're saying. But there were like four bag number one. Give me a knife. No, I got it. Okay. This is the last one, and then I'll be I'll be quiet, and you can continue. With that. Oh, there's a bag and a bag. Hold on. Is. Hold oh, on. You got a head rolling away. I get him. Okay, and I'm done. Continue. Okay. Sorry. Uh, so the the stuff about the coronavirus, like he just he didn't want to hear it because he didn't want he doesn't want to hear about people in the world like getting hurt. Mm. Yeah. Which this entire what last three months has just been like if I need to explain anything about the outside world, it's gonna be framed in people getting hurt. <laughs> yeah. And. He doesn't want to hear. He's like, please don't tell me about this. I don't want to hear about these things. I'm like, buddy, that that's not really an option right now. And so that's where I made that decision to take him out, at least to the store. Like the most benign way that you can see what is happening in the world around you so that you can be an informed human being when you grow up. But uh, they just, they've done okay. Uh, they finished out the school year. And so normally... When we finish out a school year, we would go on a camping trip. Like, all the state parks are closed. Yeah. Or uh, we want to have, like, a coffee date with me and one of the kids. Or we want to go out something and have that special one-on-one time. That can't really happen. And they get really frustrated because they're just around each other all the time. And I've said it before, and I mentioned it again, that just because they're homeschool kids, I don't know, people may think, like, they're just stuck in the house all the time. But, like, my wife gets them out of the house a lot. And so that cut back severely. Mm. 
And so besides just like going to school and coming home, like they go to the library, they go to piano practice, they go to a lot of different places around the community rather than just like one big hop from school, hop from home, maybe the store. And they couldn't do any of it. And they didn't fully understand why. And they were really irritated. And it was starting to get warmer. And we were we have a big above ground pool with a wraparound deck. So we were going to open the pool, but we had to do like a landscaping kind of project that we had been planning last year. And it was tiresome and tedious. And I finally got it finished. So like we could finally open the pool a few weeks ago. So like that has helped. But they, I mean, just like a lot of people, they're kids with cabin fever and they're annoyed with each other. They're annoyed that they're always around that other person. And so I, I feel for them because I got annoyed with them because they was always around them. <laughs> all the same reasons. Um, but yeah, we're not, we're not acting as if coronavirus is gone, but we are trying to be more conscious on what we are mitigating against. I'm not, uh, you know, a cleaver will solve all problems kind of person. I'm. I think that's. I think that's overly simplified and is insulting to me. To like, you have to be six feet away from people. Like, well, why? Are they radioactive and they're emitting some type of thing? Like, wh where does that come from? So that I can effectively pay attention to what I'm doing and I can look around for people around me, and I can still operate in the whole wide world, but do it in a smart way. And, but. That seems like so long ago. The coronavirus worry seems like so long ago. <laughs> it does, kind of, yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot going on everywhere. So people have, the comments that people have asked me not to, like, you guys should do a conversation about racism or the riots or the protests or whatever. But I think because we are a, a dad-oriented podcast... And my stance, my personal stance during this whole thing, not that, I mean, I have a voice or anyone would particularly care, is that I haven't really said anything on social media because I I don't want to shout to people out into the world. I want to turn around and talk to my kids. Yeah. And I want everything that I say about police brutality, about uh, the privilege that we are given uh, as, a, as a race. Like, I want that stuff to be a conversation that I can have with my kids, not to people who are experiencing the exact same thing and have the exact same opinions. That's just wasted effort, in, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I've had to have some very good but very unfortunate conversations with uh, with my kids. And I'm sure you have, too. Yeah. But one thing that a friend of mine that, I mean, I've, I've known my friend Erica, who's a teacher. I've known her since the fourth grade. She's an amazing friend of mine. And she teaches English and she teaches reading, uh, particularly, like, she, she teaches English through a lot of, like, controversial books about a lot of controversial subjects. Hmm. And she, in a lot of places growing up in the South, in the Panhandle of Florida, she was always the, the token black girl. And I remember being really sad for her and really annoyed when she was just a well-spoken, educated person. And they're like, you're like the whitest black person I know. Ugh. Yeah. And she got that all the time. And it made me mad. And I know that, like, through all of these injustices, like, people hmm. look to her because they're like, she's like the one person that she knows, which is, or, or that they happen to know of color, which is a shame. But she made a post the other day that said really simply, she says, what are you doing to ensure that your kids don't kill my kids. Hmm. Wow. 
And initially I went, well, that's crazy. Like what? And then I stopped and went, holy crap, that's not crazy. That's not crazy at all. Right. And it kind of shook me. And so from that perspective, I'm like, maybe that cop that knelt on that guy's knees, maybe somebody asked that guy's mom that question. Or any of the other people that automatically see somebody who doesn't look like them in a place that makes them uncomfortable, like, wonder if their parents ever had that conversation with them. Right. And so I started any kind of dialogue with my son, not to like, hey, boy, you're not going to grow up to kill people. But just this person is a human being deserving of respect and deserving of love, just as flawed in this world as you are. Like, you are no better than anybody else to try to hold a position of power or authority or or righteousness and it was hard he did not want to hear it he did not want to hear why we were having that conversation i showed him not all the videos i showed him a lot of videos Hmm. and it was hard for him to see and uh it was hard for me to see it's hard for me to continuously see yeah and so i don't know I don't know how you took that because you are very purposeful in everything that you do. And I thought a lot about you during all this. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of brought this up. We didn't talk about this beforehand. I just kind of jumped into this conversation. Yeah. Uh, how did you talk to your kids about this? Or is there anything that we can help other people prompt hmm. to have that conversation with their kids? Hmm. I mean... So I was in a, when all of the protests began, I immediately kind of crashed emotionally, which I don't do often, but there's a lot of weight and I could just see it. And it, you know, it's not affecting me. I'm privileged to not have to deal with directly a lot of the things that other people have to deal with in a lot of different ways, not just the racial stuff. But um, there, there, I had a lot of heartache for people because it wasn't obviously the the people that get hurt, the people that die are I hurt for them. But also, you could just see how much pain everybody's in, and that hit me pretty hard, and I'm gonna start crying. <laughs> that was tough. But my kids saw that, and um, hmm. that's that's how it got brought up. Because my kids saw that I was just like, like my kids never asked me if I'm okay. Yeah. But they did. And I was like, ooh, like hmm, I should get control of myself. I should get, you know, I should put on a, I'm, I'm dad, I'm okay face. And I've got like, this under control. Yeah, and then I was like, no, I shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> no, we do not have any of this under control. But I shouldn't even act like it in front of them, you know? I mean, it was like the perfect uh, chance to say, like, no, I'm not okay. Hmm. But that, uh, them asking me that drew out a big, long conversation about what was going on and about how people were reacting on, on all sides. And it was it was really interesting, and I was kind of proud of them because they didn't understand it. <laughs> and they um 
they didn't i mean they know of racism they they learn about it in school they they know of these things they know that things happen they are big fans of martin luther king jr which i thought was i mean i've known that for a while but it was really cool that they immediately brought that up in response to all this but they didn't understand it because they've never grown up with anybody in our family telling them that that's the way things should be that anybody is less than anybody else and so you know they knew it was real but to to start hearing about it like they they knew it was real in history i think that's yeah their understanding was historical and so when we started talking about what was happening right now and how it was affecting individuals and just a, a community and a culture at large um they just didn't get it they didn't understand why it was still a problem and my son had that same reaction yeah that I think in their very educated, you know, as educated as kids are about history, his reaction was one like, this this was done already. Yeah, didn't we do this already? Yeah. yeah. Why are we talking about this again? And honestly, I think that's a, that's, I kind of had that reaction too. I think a lot of adult white people right now are going, wait a minute, who, who don't see themselves as racist, who don't continue to see the problems firsthand are like, didn't we already deal with this? Like, I thought this was taken care of. And that's completely being naive on my part and on the part of those people that feel that way. I get that. But it, you know, it was kind of a, a awakening to the fact that there's still stuff going on that doesn't affect you directly, but it doesn't mean it's gone. Yeah. It was never gone. Yeah. And, so anyway, we had some really good conversations about it and they, um, it, it drove a lot of conversations about, or a lot of questions from them about, well, like, what do we do? And I was like, we well, don't do anything. You love people. Like you don't, you don't have to like, this is, this is about a societal problem at large, but your job is right now is to love people and to treat everybody the same. And, you know, they, they get that, they understand that. And that was kind of the mission that we, we set out from the big discussion that we had with them about it. Um, but it was, it was weird to be in a place for about a week of just like, just bummed out and just sad and trying to figure out how to help. But at the same time, uh, not wanting to be the, like, I can come help. I'm a white guy. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Yeah. But I want to help. Hijacking the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to, like, let me step in and do something for those who can't. And, there, I mean, I guess part of that's true, but part of that's just terrible. And so I had a big struggle with that for, the, for uh, about a week of just, where's my place in this? How can I be helpful? How can I stand up for the oppressed without... Uh, co-opting their pain because I don't want that. Yeah, and um, that affected my relationship with my kids in a good way, but in the short term, in a bad way because I was very grumpy and mm. very distant for a week, and I just wanted to not be around anybody, and I just wanted to—I don't know—I don't know what I wanted, but I just did not feel good. <laughs> but that showed through to them, and in the moment, I thought that was bad. But I think uh, in the long term, it was probably good. Showed the weight of it to me, or in me to them, I hope. Um, My son asked me 
uh, he goes, are you watching more police videos? He's like, because all you're doing is getting mad. Why are you watching those things if you're just going to be mad? Mm. Because I'm going to remember. Right. And this is going to stick with me. Boy, I was, I was mad about this for a long time before today. Yeah. This just, every more people can see it. And I, I want to sit him down. I'm like, no, you, you watch this video of this guy getting bare maced in the face and then shot with a, a tear gas canister off, ricocheted off his forehead. I'm like, watch these things. And it, for me, the, like the, not getting too deep into the frustration, I'm going to get on a rant. Uh, when I was in the army, I was in a situation surrounded by a group of people when we were deployed where we dehumanized an entire group of people. It was how we operated. And there was a social norm. Whether it was right or wrong, you were kind of blind to that. Hmm. And I think a lot of police officers, and maybe the same on, on protester side, but I know for a fact police officers because they're... They, they tout themselves as, as warriors and street survival and all these very tactical, warlike rhetoric. And that's what we did in war. But then when you stood back from a second, I mean, I was deployed to Iraq, so it wasn't like we were trying to liberate Europe from the Nazis. The reasons we went into that country were, were vague and crazy, and why we were still there, even when we were in country, were vague and crazy. And so it was a population of people that were trying to live their life while we were trying to perform missions and the the lines of like people living their life and those people are the enemy was so blurry hmm. that you just reacted to everybody being an enemy a potential threat right which made you on edge for every single interaction and assume the worst exactly you had to assume the worst you were always at like a 9 ready to immediately jump to a 10 hmm. and i've i've personally had some experience with some of the stuff that some of these cops are going through and but i have hindsight to be able to go like this is a slippery slope that you need to not these assumptions that you have about people in general especially people of color because you're trying to brand like oh well if this person is a you know this person robbed a bank that person may be black or this person did something else that person may be latino therefore they represent their entire race is a, a horrible horrible prejudice that you have against people but that's in that survival mentality that's the way that you kind of act and it's a shame it's not against an enemy combatant it's not against some some foreign invader it's against people that live in your neighborhood, that yeah. live in your community. And the fact that like the guard, the National Guard has been called up in a lot of places is nothing really new for riots or protests. But with the, the president mentioning that he wants to send active duty troops into cities, like those are major red flags. Yeah. That very, very few active duty military troops or even National Guard members for that member, like know exactly what to do in those situations. But you don't want to do that. You don't want to release like a, a dog on people because they don't know what to do. Like it, it's so convoluted and so crazy, and trying to figure out in my head like what what can be done. What does success look like? What does ease look like? What does relief look like? And it's the I think it's the interaction that people that are are supposed to let's say they're supposed to be serving and protecting. They work for us, but like. If you have that position of authority, like you have to be so above reproach 
because you have ultimate power over people. And it's, it's such a shame. It's a weird dichotomy that like you need police and you need people to enforce laws to, to help prevent bad guys. And even that people have, you know, issues with, but like, but at the same time, you should not be allowed to just straight up kill somebody. Like, it's so ridiculous. And the same thing when I was deployed. Like, you think, and I don't know, actually, I don't know what people think about soldiers in war. Uh, there were more investigations into, like, misconduct with locals than I ever thought. Hmm. Like, somebody got shot at one time, and so this helicopter just shot back into this crowd. Well, they shot a, a rocket into a house and killed some people. And they're like, those people died. Those people were not combatants. So the, the people that fired that rocket were under investigation and like had to go pretty much hmm. to court for war crimes, for like the uh, it's the, the rule of war. And, but like that stuff doesn't apply here. Right. And so it's so crazy being like a, a veteran and hearing people saying to use the military, like the military has so much more constraint or stringent rules and, and tactics and things put on them with how you deal with individuals. Like, you don't want that. That's not a thing. No one in this United States of America should ever want the military to come running down your house because then you're going to have what we had in Iraq. You're going to have armed, like, guerrilla warfare. I heard one city somebody got attacked by an IED. I'm like, yeah, that's what happens. Hmm. I always felt like we were the invaders in that country, and then people were so mad, like, somebody blew up a truck. I'm like, well, that's a shame, and I feel for it. But, like, they just want us to go away. Right. Like, so you have to be able to stop and empathize with people. And empathy, man, if there's anything that I've tried to stress to my children, even in their sheltered little bubble of a world, is is empathy. You don't know what that person has gone through. And you can't assume just because it seems unbelievable to you that such a thing existed, or such a thing currently exists, that that person must be making it up. Or like, oh, that can't be true. And so you minimize somebody's stance just because it doesn't affect you. And my friend Erica that I mentioned before, she married a good friend of ours from high school who is a white guy. And I remember we were talking one day and I was showing my son. I'm like, you know that not that long ago, like that was illegal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, I think, Loving or Lovely versus Virginia. It was a, a, a Supreme Court case that desegregated marriage like what's and so to look at them it's encouraging to me the stuff that they go what like, right yeah what like how preposterous and stupid is such a thing go, yes exactly <laughs> yes like that is encouraging if anything to go like the the notion that two people shouldn't get married because of something as arbitrary as the color of their skin you think is ridiculous and, and completely asinine like that is hope for the future yeah, because up to like your dad and like my mom and dad's lifetime, that was not the case. Right. I actually asked, um, I was talking to my parents uh, during all this and I was, I was just upset and I was just asking them about the 60s and my dad was in Vietnam, uh, not by choice, but he did his part in they lived through the 60s, so they saw all, everything else that was going on that they weren't necessarily a part of. But I was asking him about, you know, what was the feeling during the Civil War, uh, Civil Rights Movement in in the 60s? Like, what was the 
the general, while there were riots and while there were protests and while there was assassinations and while these things were going on, what was the feeling in small town Kentucky? What was the feeling here? Was the the tension the same? Because I was just feeling like an unbreakable tension is here. And like, I don't know what to do about it. And I don't know that anybody knows what to do about it. But like, I'm wondering, was it like this before? Was it worse than this? Was it mm. was it less than this? Like, I don't know. I don't have the context. And so I was asking them. And it was kind of interesting because he was talking about um, the area that we're in. Fort Knox is relatively close. And there were a bunch of different type of units and at that time there were black sorry in world war ii there were black units and there were white units Mm -hmm. and they were separate but they were at the same bases and in this area uh the overt racism has never been a huge thing and he thinks it was because of world war ii that being the case that set up a norm in in this area which is kind of funny it's kind of weird but he growing up in the 50s never felt uh, a huge racial divide obviously as a white person he was on one side of it so i I get that i'm not i'm not saying there wasn't something but he didn't have the perception of there's two really really distinct communities there were things about them that were distinct but he didn't grow up in a racist home and so his perspective on the 60s was a little different because like locally it didn't it didn't act the same as it did in the big cities or in uh, Atlanta and, you know further south and things like that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um he had just a different picture of the tension than what I would have imagined watching videos of protests and riots and stuff from the civil rights movements. Well, talking to your dad about that point, talking to your dad sometimes about like the buildings downtown, because I really like our downtown here. He told me a story that of your grandfather. Um, there was a restaurant downtown that wouldn't allow black people to sit at the counter, like with the, mm-hmm. a lot of the, the sit-ins in the South. It kind of merged up here. And apparently your grandfather uh, got into, I don't, I don't think of an actual fight, but got into an altercation with the owner of the place and was like, no, these people, everybody will sit at this counter. Yeah. And so that could have been your dad maybe not feeling that it was such a huge thing may have been because of your grandfather setting that example. Yeah, but part of there's it. I mean there's evidence of it. It, it. Growing up in the South. Oh yeah, I don't. I'm not at all saying that it wasn't here. I yeah. just I'm saying his perspective of it was that it wasn't as noticeable as a lot of other places. That's all I meant. By and that. I think like right now, uh, again I'm going to go back to growing up in the South in in Florida. I've lived in Alabama and Georgia and now Kentucky. Like the small things that people don't really think about are there because of systemic racism. And I I see them now way more overtly, not now, but like as an adult, like the old movie theater downtown. Like if you look up in the balcony, there's a wall on the balcony, Mm. the wall on the balcony. And there's a whole separate ticket counter. Yeah. Those are for black people had to go sit in that specific section. Yeah. Some of the bigger churches, like the big Baptisty, like the the cornerstone kind of churches, big peaks in a lot of towns. Uh, there's a small little balcony. And some of them that are just kind of like, well, that balcony doesn't seem big enough to really fit just about anybody. I'm like, well, that's because that's where black people were. Hmm. The elementary school that I went to, I didn't find out until I, I had graduated, was the segregated school. And it was dumpier than the other ones. Hmm. 
And it's those things that as a kid, you know, 80s and, and 90s kids that are just like, you know, figments of your or of your existence in your town that happened after Jim Crow. Probably, I mean, definitely didn't happen after, you know, racial discrimination because it's still going on. But like, it, it wasn't so overt. You're saying like, oh, that's like a, a dumpy building or little things like balconies in, in big buildings or in public spaces or silly things like that. You may not have noticed why it was there. And so I think that, again, is a step in the right direction and why you see so many people that are that are out in these protests continuously because it's something that absolutely doesn't need to exist. And the things that, like I said earlier, like our kids think are preposterous or stuff that I think is preposterous. Like, I think throughout, I hope, God, I pray that like generationally those things will just dilute themselves away. Yeah. But there has to be some some leadership or some action or some actual uh, legal backing behind that hope. And I remember my grandfather who passed away recently. I love my grandfather. I remember as a kid him telling me racist jokes. Yeah. And I'm like, at the time, I'm like, why would you say that to somebody as a kid? And I'm like, I don't, I don't get why you think that's funny. Like, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. I was taught never to say that word. And this is why you never say that word. And why would you think that's a funny thing? And I don't wish ill on my grandfather, but I'm like, my grandfather passed away. And I love him, but I'm like, that's one less person in the world who feels like that's okay. Right. Yeah, I think generationally, I hope generationally, these things will continue to just be that, will continue to be a thing that, like, I don't understand why they used to feel this way, why they used to think this way. I hope that's the case. But at the same time, there are pockets of population who actively or maybe passively pass it down continue to pass it down continue to reinforce that behavior to their kids at a very young age and those communities those areas of the country are not going to be easily changed and i don't know what the solution to that is or anything the only thing we have control over is how our kids are taught Um, even you know even in the context of education or like the, the groups that your kids are a part of in the towns that you're in, you know, the, the sports that take part in and the, all that stuff, you still are not in control of what's going to be fed to them and how they're going to be like influenced. Mm-hmm. And, Their own personal interactions. Yeah. I mean, it just comes down to us having to take responsibility for the direction that our kids' hearts go in and, and a bunch of different things. But, you know, right now and with the racism conversations uh like we just have to keep bringing it up for our kids because they're not confronted with it daily because they don't have to deal with it directly they don't think about it but we have been trying to let them know that stuff is still going on in the world that protests are still happening that people are still trying to um, get justice people are still trying to make change and i don't want them to forget about it yep and so we're trying to reinforce that just through conversation and just make sure they know that it's still still going on. But it's tough. It's real tough um, to talk to them about. And and like for me personally, it's tough to, to know how to be effective. Like I wrestled a lot with what to say publicly. I don't think anybody wants my opinion. I don't know why anybody would. And I don't know why people reach out asking for my opinion about things. I'm just a person 
who has no special opinion. But there's a fair amount of pressure to do or say or to react um, being a person on social media. And I had a hard time with that because I don't want to jump on a bandwagon. I don't want to do Mm -hmm. something out of, well, everybody thinks I should, so I should say these, wait, where's the script that I'm supposed to say so that I seem supportive? Like, I don't want that. I want legit, find a way to be helpful. And so I had a pretty hard time with that um, and still kind of am how to how to have a, a public thought about it when I don't really want to have a public thought about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I kept my thoughts private because again, I wanted to put my focus into my kids and mine were so angry that they should not be said out loud for fear of yeah. some kind of state monitoring. Hmm. Like my feelings toward law enforcement run, run deep. Not to say that I have had the same experiences of people of color. Not that at all. My feelings toward law enforcement are polarized. And this makes it so much worse. And again, I think that's where this problem has to, fixing this problem has to begin. Whoa. Um, And so any comments that I would have had um, were not productive. Yeah. There was not a protest near me, or I would have been there and I... Ooh, I'm going to leave it there. Yeah, they would not have been productive for a respectable dialogue. Yeah. um, That was... That was one of the struggles I had uh, early on was just like, how do I... How do I not add to the noise? How do I show support without becoming a distraction? Um, How do I be sincere without grabbing the closest hashtag yep and co-opting it or jumping on the bandwagon because i really don't want that and ultimately i i it's hard for me to talk about uh social things or political things because i am absolutely aware that People don't need to or want to share my opinion, and I don't want to try to convince anybody of my like to, to be on my side. Yeah. That's not my place. I just it's just not. And so, rather than trying to jump on a, a social side of it, really directly or at least initially, I just tried to like think about the stuff that I do have control over and think about the actions that we can take outside of any particular situation that can contribute to good. And I know that that seems like a, maybe like a cop-out or like a, such a general statement that it does no good. But I, I really, I, cause I got that pushback from people and I, and I don't think that's the truth. I think trying to convince people of fairness and of patience and of conversation can go a long way towards bigger resolution. And so that's kind of where I stuck with my public response to it because again i don't think anybody wants my needs my response yeah people were asking for it (laughs) so it's such a strange dichotomy to like as a white person right now like does my opinion really matter that much it it shouldn't if it does it shouldn't and 
I don't know. Yeah. And that's what I think purposely, like, other people knowing my opinion other than what we're saying, like, right now, is irrelevant. Like, my kids need to know. Yeah. So I can I can tell that person, and we're still like, oh, you're upset, and you're mad, and you're you're furious. I am too. Let's tell each other how mad we are. Like that doesn't... that that nulls out. Yeah. But I can tell my kids, or I can tell someone around me. I can tell my my parents, or if they were still around, my grandparents, like how these actions have affected people in real examples. Because I think a lot of a lot of people see that, that, oh, that's that's so far away, or that's a group of people that they don't interact with so much that, again, they don't believe it's real. And yeah. so by producing here is actual events, real things that you cannot deny that people are feeling. And then to openly deny that or not care about it, like that says a lot about a person. But having my kids understand what is happening in the world to some degree, because they'll never understand but to try to have the basis for empathy so that when they become adults, it will never cross their mind that that person walking down the street or that person running out of a store for whatever reason, like, oh, that person should be shot right now. Yeah. That should never be. a. I saw somebody yesterday. I was at Jimmy John's. Some guy was getting food on the back of his shirt was like, I don't have time for you. Something I'll, I'll shoot you and ask questions later. And I stared at this shirt and I'm like, what is wrong with you? And then what is wrong with a company that's going to market that shirt to people? Yeah. Like that is the most anti-productive thing that you as a member of society who, who will probably claim every amendment and every right that could possibly be infringed upon, but just doesn't care about those for other people. And those are the things I have to turn around and I, I, I don't want to hide my kids from that. I go, that person exists. So that when you can like feign uh, ignorance later on in life, you, you cannot. I don't want my kids to be like, I didn't know that that was a thing. Like, whoa. Yeah. Like, no, there are people in this world that experience terrible things that you thought were taken care of a long time ago, that they absolutely weren't. And so I think my place personally, again, no one should ever care what my place is other than my family is that I, raising awareness to others. You guys are aware. You all, y'all are woke. Everybody's woke right now. You can't not be. But my kids aren't. Or they aren't as aware as they should be. And if every single day they need to see me watching angry police videos and go, why is dad mad? Why is he continually watching those things? Because one day you're going to be in a position where you could be an elected official and you could remember how angry I was at people doing this and you can stop it from happening. That if you see somebody of color getting pulled over, you can pull over right behind them just to be a witness. You can use your privilege just as some type of stupid, maybe potential buffer. You see somebody in a store or a restaurant that's being treated unfairly, you can stand up for that person. Because you would hope that somebody would do the same for you. Yeah. And it's not so like, what is happening? That one person is doing this thing that no one else in the world would ever understand. Why? Like, Yeah, they do. This is why. Look out for it. Be aware of it. And stand up for that person, just as you would hope that somebody would stand up for you. Treat your neighbor as you would want to be treated. Yeah. And, man, it is heavy on them. It's heavy on us, and it's really difficult. And it's difficult to have those conversations. It's sad to have those conversations. 
And it's sad that it's yet another sad conversation. Like, I, there's no end point for any of this. But I mean, 2020 for real. <laughs> like, man. There's got to be some kind of... Some kind of immediate... Res like, formal response to this so that people can go, Okay, good. That was a good thing that happened. Out of all of this, something good happened. And if you're a politician in the world right now who doesn't even think that the world needs this, or if you can do it for selfish gain or whatever, like it's, this is a win-win for people. Make something good out of all this, please. Yeah, like, pre pretty sure politicians don't listen to this show, but you know, that one does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my campaign contributions, I know where they go. They might. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> yeah, this, this year has been a uh, kind of a big turd so far. Which is a bummer, but uh, we, on making it, we tried to delicately address this because, you know, Meh. like I said before, I don't, I don't want any, most people don't really care about my opinion, um, and if they do, I'm not sure why. So we tried to just acknowledge it and show support, but then just not, not continue to talk about it. Um, and it's interesting that, I guess like most, th most things, we got bipolar responses within moments of each other <laughs> that were just like, I'm so glad you guys didn't spend time talking about this stuff because I'm so sick of hearing about it and because I need an escape and because I am because it, and then we get another email that's like, I can't believe you guys didn't talk about this more. What are you, racist? Well, I specifically said... There's nothing I can say that will make everybody happy. There's no amount of coverage or focus that I could give anything that's going on right now that would give everybody the thing that they want to hear. And I think that's like one of the problems with the the whole like exposition and the social media aspect of this stuff is that people are looking for uh, voices like theirs. And, yep. And that's... They, they're only willing to hear voices like theirs, and that's a bad thing. <laughs> it's a terrible thing. It's a hive mind. And, I mean, I, I get the, the impulse to want to have... I want somebody to be on my side, and I want somebody to support the things that I support, and I want my causes that, I'm, that I think are important to be proclaimed. I get that. But if you're unwilling to let other people have an opinion that is maybe even similar, but not worded the same to yours, then you're not actually wanting people to stand up for something. You're just wanting validation. Yep, you just want to be right. Those things are not mutually exclusive. I get that. But that's one of the big worries that I have about this entire thing is that it's forcing people into further echo chambers of, of um, like you were saying, like two people just arguing, you know, like, hey, look how mad we are together about this thing. But that doesn't actually necessarily cause change. That doesn't really reach the people that need to be reached outside of that bubble. And so part of our response with on that show was to try to not separate the audiences, was try not to drive away the people that disagree so that they would still be around for when we have discussions about being nice to people <laughs> and about, about how fairness works and about, you know, uh, I don't know. 
we took the show in a direction we were not expecting. Or no, I was not expecting yeah, to take. I wasn't expecting either. Anyway. But then you brought out pirates, and it just kind of came. <laughs> <laughs> we are still working on going over this stuff with the kids, and I think, if nothing else, uh, the terribleness of the situation makes it forefront enough to to bring it up to the kids on a regular basis and to be confronted with it in front of them and to have to figure out how to explain my own feelings to them, which hopefully gives them a better perspective long-term. And I think that's that's one way to do it. I'm not going to say that's the best way to do it because I don't really know. And for my kids, that's a good way to do it. I know other people have taken their kids to protests and shown it to them up front and face-to-face. That's awesome as well. Um, yeah. That's kind of all I got about it. Yeah. How's your creeper? Well, he's done. And your cat. Yeah, his cat. So we accidentally, um, believe the least that you could do as mm-hmm. an, a, an American citizen to try to invoke any kind of change. The bare minimum. You want to stand up for people, then listen to them and use the one thing that you have as a citizen to try to help long term. Yeah. Yep. How about Minecraft? We've been playing Minecraft. How about (laughs) Minecraft? (laughs) Yeah, we could have done a whole episode of Minecraft. Maybe we'll do that next time. I made a creeper and he's going to hang out on your island right there where they always hang out. So now my beautiful island's going to get blown up. Kaboom. Well, uh, people who have listened this entire time, I hope we didn't bum you out. Um, Hope that you are finding a way to chat with the people in your life about this stuff, you know, and have real conversations one-on-one about it. Cause I think that's the most beneficial thing that you could do is get eye to eye with somebody and be honest. Um, and if you're upset, talk to me. I, I brought this up. This was my doing. If you've got words, Bob has already got enough words from enough people when trying to say something good. I haven't. <laughs> so if Gosh. you've got issues for this, uh, I've got, the law and the constitution and a vocabulary. So I'm not instigating a fight, but if you have issue with this, <laughs> that was good. Anthony put my social media on the screen. Um, don't send them Bob. Well, I, it was, send them to me. I think it's important is that if no matter how you feel about stuff, it's finding somebody that you can have a one-on-one face-to-face conversation with. Yep. Whether you agree with them or not, I'm not saying like go find somebody to convince or find somebody to fight with. Very like, just, just talk to somebody about yeah. it because everybody, whether you're in the same boat or not, is probably going to have a feeling on it. And if nothing else, you can uh, disagree on every single point. But if you're willing to come to the table with somebody to talk about something, that's a start. Yeah. So I would do that first before you go writing anybody on social media, on social media about like your feelings. Cause you know, and if you're uncomfortable about starting that conversation, that's a really good indicator that you should do it. Mm. Speaking of, I started listening to the No Dumb Questions today. Such a good episode. Uh, they, did. they have the newest episode. You should you should listen to the podcast anyway because they're awesome. But the newest episode is them asking questions to a black pastor from Alabama that were submitted anonymously through Twitter. They are the questions that people are scared to ask, yep. and it's really good. And the answers, like his response to those things, is super thoughtful and very well put. So. Go listen to that. All right. We're going to stop this one. Yep. Thank you for listening. Next week, we're going to talk about Minecraft. Yeah. 
at least. Yep. <laughs> Anthony leans out from behind the monitor. And in fact, right now, it's 3.27 on a Friday, so the three of us are going to go play Minecraft in the office together. You should do the same. Have a good weekend or day or whenever it is you're listening to this. Thank you, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.